to the weekly message from Angel of Joy Lutheran Church, an ELCA congregation located in Lufkin, Texas. Pastor Paul Guy and the family of Angel of Joy invite you to join us for worship at 10.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. If you should find yourself in our neighborhood, please enjoy this message and visit our website at angelofjoy.org. Dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. How do we grow a church? Historically, it happened in this way. First, repent. Second, be baptized as a follower of Christ. Third, share the teaching with others. And fourth, Share a simple meal. It really did start off that simple, but it didn't take long before it got more complicated. We're human beings, after all. We tend to take the beautifully simple and make it twisted and complex with exceptions and questions and arguments and struggles for power. And sometimes... We get bored and walk away. We see how that started to unfold in the earliest days of the church when we heard Stephen's story today in the reading from the Acts. It's a glorious moment, you know. Stephen has a beautiful vision of heaven and of Jesus himself together with God the Father. But... When the people he was speaking to heard this this account, they grab him and stone him to death. It's what we call a martyr's death. And Stephen dies echoing the words we heard from Jesus himself on the cross. Lord, receive my spirit. And Lord, do not hold this, this sin against them. Clearly, it's not a very happy ending to Stephen doing what Jesus had instructed all of his followers to do, simply carrying out the commission to teach and baptize. That's what he did, and that's why he died. The rosy glow of excitement at the start of a mission ends with a heartless execution. Well, it's a little more complicated than that. certainly more complicated than this this shortened version of of Stephen's testimony and his martyrdom lead us to believe. So maybe I can give you a little more of the story, a little more background. Stephen had been baptized, anointed, and sent out into the mission field along with some other dedicated people who seemed to have the gifts to do that kind of work. It's a specialized job, but an absolutely crucial one, and apparently he was good at it. So off he went with memories of the time that Peter preached, and on that very same day, 3,000 people were baptized. That's a lot. It seemed like everything was going to be simple. It's going to be easy, right? Preach a good sermon, offer the sacrament, and people are going to flock. Right? Hmm. No. 
didn't happen that way, as simple as it seemed like it could be. Stephen went to the synagogue to preach. And that's in those days how you reached out to to the people of the religious community by teaching. He worked some miracles, the details of which are now lost to time. Some of the people were troubled by what they heard. And just as was the case for Jesus in his trial, his words, his message was misinterpreted or misrepresented. They said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and of God. Well, this got the synagogue pretty upset. So they asked Stephen to come and explain himself. It happened to Jesus. It happened to Martin Luther. He responded with a fire and brimstone sermon. runs 52 verses, much longer than most Lutheran congregations would sit still for. And then it ends up with these words. You st- well, translated, of course, from the original. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit, just as your ancestors used to do. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You are the ones that receive the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. Whoa. If I preached that kind of sermon here, we probably wouldn't have more than 20 or 30 people come. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe fewer than that. It's not a shock that the people who heard this accusation ended up acting the way they did. They were understandably, if not unjustifiably, angered, enraged, really. And even though he followed up that sermon with a joyful exclamation that he was having a vision of heaven and of Jesus himself, those people were having none of it. They did exactly what he himself predicted. This latter-day prophet of Christ was consequently put to death. Yep, that's what we do to prophets when they tell us in no uncertain terms how off-track we have become. Down through the ages, not just biblical times, but since then, those that would try to get the people on the right track were denounced, abandoned, or, in the worst case, actually killed. Such was certainly the case at the time of Martin Luther, who was not trying to break off from the Catholic Church, but simply trying to get it back on the tracks again, trying to get it in sync with the gospel rather than laws and traditions. He didn't get executed, but there were those that wanted very much to burn him at the stake. Once again in Germany, it happened to a devout person who was a follower of Luther, a preacher, seminary professor, a pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was an internationally respected German Lutheran pastor and professor who was executed by the Nazis because of his opposition to Hitler. 
a little closer to our time. I think most of us know what happened to someone who shared part of the historic name, Martin Luther King. Prophets too often get killed for their efforts. And maybe that's why so many pastors of all denominations are a little bit hesitant to preach like the old-time prophets, get straight with God or suffer the consequences. Yeah, that's going to get full offering plates. Well, sometimes it does. But certainly we all live by that old adage that you can catch more flies with honey than with vinegar. But there are times when the gentle approach just doesn't work anymore. Times when courage in the face of fire is what must be called for, and yet we're really always unnerved by the possible consequences. If we call a spade a spade, someone might actually hit us with a shovel. So the question for me when I hear Stephen's story is this. Is it safe to bear witness to Christ anymore? Is it safe to tell people what it is that I believe in? Now, the chances are nobody's going to shoot you for that or throw a stone at you. But they might not show up. They might find some other place that has a, a more gentle story to tell. The gospel. You know, we're always in tension. The gospel and the law. Which is it that's going to really reflect the will, the heart and mind and soul of God. If you can say God has a soul, and I think we can, the essence of God is a, is love, understanding, forgiveness. And yet too often, that's the last thing that we're going to share. Christian churches are notorious for being uncompromising. Spanish Inquisition is a good example of that, but we've done it in our own times. Church burnings, lots of unchristian acts done in the name of God or even Jesus himself. Well, the fact is people still don't get the message. We're not all we. We want to create Jesus in our own image, or at least God. Isn't that what it says in Genesis Adam created God in his own image. No, it was the other way around, wasn't it? But you know, we still haven't gotten that straight. We want a God who thinks the way we do. We want a God who is willing to act the way we wish to act toward one another. Nobody's going to throw rocks at God. So I take a look at today's gospel. Jesus in his discourse with his disciples. It's a familiar passage, and we often proclaim it at memorial or funeral services. You know, he's talking elliptically and poetically, as he always does in the gospel of John, about leaving them and going to be with his Father in heaven. But people still don't get it. So Thomas asks that clarifying question, 
And you know, Thomas is the one that's sort of notorious for clarifying questions. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And I guarantee you've heard that one at funerals. And Jesus thinks he's answered Thomas's question. I am the way. Look at me. I'll guide you. I am the truth. How I act, how I treat others, that's the right way. That's the truthful way. And it will give you life. But then Philip, one of the disciples who eventually went out into the mission field with Stephen, by the way, he pipes up with another idea. Well, Lord, we just don't quite understand all this way and truth and life stuff. Just make it simple for us. Just show us your heavenly Father and then we'll all be cool with it. Show us God so we'll know what it is that we believe in. Seems believing, right? Well, I guess he wasn't paying attention during that whole mess about the doubting Thomas and the wounds in Jesus' hands and feet and side. Now, at that point, Jesus really could have gotten all prophetic with him and started shouting, you stiff-necked dummy! Your heart and your ears are uncircumcised. Or they're all plugged up, just as Stephen would later tell his listeners in the synagogue. But although Jesus was frustrated with their lack of understanding, he chose to deal with it in a different way. He reframed the problem for them, and then he encouraged them. And he was being both prophetic and saying the way things really are and what's going to happen otherwise, but he was also pastoral, a shepherd guiding his flock. He said, I wish you could understand this. You don't need to see the Father with your eyes. You don't need to be able to glimpse him on a throne up in heaven. You've got me. And if you've got me, you know exactly how the Father is. Because I am not only like the Father, but we're of the same essence. We're the same. And it's as simple as that. And if you don't trust me on this, you'll be doing the same remarkable... If you do trust me on this, then you'll be doing the same remarkable things that I've been doing, that you've been watching, the healing of the, the sick, the lame, the blind, the deaf, even raising the dead. You'll be able to do that and even more if you believe me, if you trust me. And there was not a tirade about how thick-headed they seemed, although they were, but rather there's just sort of a sigh. You can almost hear Jesus go, okay, let me try it this way. In an explanation. And then a word of encouragement. Well, building a church, as the disciples discovered, is a process of trial and error. Sometimes we do something and it works great. And we rejoice. And then we do something else and it doesn't work. And we're afraid that the walls of the church are going to crumble and the roof is going to fall in and that will be the end of it. And when that happens, you know what? People are going to start picking up stones to throw at whoever they feel is responsible. 
Well, maybe not stones. Maybe just a well-aimed tomato at the head. But the thing the disciples figured out was this. A few dumb questions and a few arguments later, they figured all you have to do is trust and obey. Not the laws, not obey the rules, but simply follow Jesus. When he says, do this, do it. Simple as that. And it's not a big task. It's not like, well, like trying to move a mountain without a bulldozer. Because when we do things the Jesus way, things just have a way of falling in place. We build a church on him, speaking out when we get off track and encouraging when we struggle. We are both prophetic and pastoral, because that's the way Jesus taught us to be, after all, for heaven's sakes. Yeah, speak the truth. Speak the gospel. But do it with your heart and a gentle voice and compassion. And it all comes together and it clicks like a well-oiled Mercedes-Benz. A stone here or there, you know, well, it's probably going to happen. It always has and it probably will and it's happened pretty much everywhere else and it probably will or has happened here. But on the other hand, we'll most likely not get stoned to death. Sometimes we'll ask dumb questions and make mistakes and jump the tracks. But you know what? No matter what happens, we still have the best teacher, the best Lord and Master that the world has ever seen. And he's not in the history books. He's not even in this book here so much as he's right here in your midst and in your own life when you get in your cars and go home today in a way that defies explanation but is absolutely true. He's there with you, looking at you, loving you, and whispering into your heart, not into your ears necessarily, but certainly into your heart. First off saying, I love you. And I'll always love you. And I'll always be there with you. And I'm not an inane, frozen presence. I'm there to help you and to guide you and to bless you. That's the Savior who rose on Easter. That's the Lord and Savior that we claimed On our Confirmation Day, if not our Baptism Day, it's the Lord and Savior that we can love and trust and follow. Listen to him. You don't have to listen to me. I'm sort of the pastor geezer here. I'm the the old fart who's preaching from the pulpit and trying to say, yes, this is the one that you know. Listen to him. But I do beg you this, for the time being at least, please keep those stones in your pockets. Amen. Thank you for listening. Please provide feedback on the iTunes podcast page 
and visit our website at angeljoy.org for more information.